This is God's word. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now I'm going to share a bit of a Bible lesson with this passage. And um, there will be a lot of flipping around to different scripture texts. So if you want to have your Bible close by, um, that might help if that's your style. Um, uh, but let me open with prayer as we look into this scripture passage. Heavenly God, we come to this worship time from all kinds of different places in life, different kinds of directions our life is going. Maybe some of us have feel like we've been liberated, like we've gotten through some kind of um, finish line in life. We've got to some point where the gates have opened up and we're, we're out in the open. Maybe others of us feel like we've come into a time of great trial or like we've quite frankly, the gates have shut and we've hit a wall. And um, in our disorientation, we seek reorientation, we seek transformation, we seek grace and love. Um, we come with all kinds of different questions, different needs this morning. And uh, we have friends in our lives and family members and coworkers who, um, who we care about and love and we see them hitting these same kind of places, things they're celebrating, or very difficult things and struggles that they have that we have on our mind this morning. And so as we stop now as a community and as a church has been doing for centuries, we, we listen for your voice, even though we're, it's just me talking and it's me using an ancient scripture passage, we actually believe that through this time that you're gonna speak. And so we invite you now, as we sit here more, than a, more of a mess than we care to admit, each and every one of us more broken than we want people to know. And we look to this story of scripture and the message of grace that says that even though we're a mess, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever imagined. May that truth, may that gospel message penetrate into our resistance and our confusion. And please teach us about your love this morning and how to live it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I distinctly can remember uh, what early January of 2020 was like. Um, I remember these headlines starting to come out, but they were just kind of kind of curiosities on the side. There, there was a virus in Wuhan, China, and for the average person, there was not much more than just a oh, huh, what's going to happen with that. Of course, there were a few people in the in the field of epidemiology and virology who were very concerned and very tuned into what this could mean. But the average person, by and large, 99.9% of us couldn't even imagine or predict that 14 months later, we would still be the world, not just certain parts of the world, the world across would be in various types of lockdown, various types of economic crisis, uh, 
that all around the world there would be these common threads of masks, mask wearing and, and job losses and complete shifts in life for different households and uh, the death, you know, the deaths that would be caused by this in America over half a million. The average person wouldn't have predicted in January. I remember I was basically just thinking like, how oh, can I still make that? I, I'm, I know I'm fine to make that trip to Florida in January 20. That's about when David and I went on a ministry uh, conference. And then, and then later at the end of February still, oh, I'll make that trip for work to Michigan. But then just a week or two later, everything changed. Well, before Jesus Christ rose from the dead, uh, and before he appeared to over 500 people, we talked about that passage last week, um, or some of that stuff. No one would have, before he did this, no one would have predicted it. No one had a framework to understand uh, the Messiah, one person being God sent Messiah for salvation, and that that would involve rising that one person rising after dying and so we we're, we're looking a little bit at the murky picture today of what evidence there was what kind of framework there was for people really just to notice how huge of a surprise this was to everyone and so our passage Hosea 6 it was so short that I'll read I'll read one line of it again after two days he will revive us. On the third day he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. Now, does that clearly and obviously talk about a Savior coming and rising from the dead after dying? No. <laughs> it's got some hints in there. It's got this after two days and on the third day. But this is pretty common for some of the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures that were in the milieu at the time of Jesus, and even the, the, the wisest scriptural teachers wouldn't have tied these passages together to say there's an obvious chance that the Messiah, there's going to be a Messiah that will rise from the dead. One of the, the classic texts that is pointed to, to really speaking pretty vividly to what ended up happening with Jesus, is Isaiah 53. But it's still not really clear that you take away from these verses exactly what ended up happening. But he was pierced for our transgressions, this is Isaiah 53, verse, uh, verse 5, and then I'm going to read uh, verse 11. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's ways in which reading back, you're like, wow, that sounds like Jesus. If you're a Christian, you might say that. But at the time, it, it was speaking in past tense, hundreds of years before Jesus came, and it just was confusing. Verse 11 of Isaiah 53, After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. So, sure, you can say that sounds a little bit like resurrection, but not super clear. And then one more, one of the ones that does talk about being more clear than others, is Daniel chapter 11. At the time of Jesus, Daniel would have been one of the newest, or the newest, pieces in the Jewish scriptural canon that they were looking to 
Um, and, and so this is what it says. Uh, Daniel 12, verses 2 and 3. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. This is resurrection. Some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Okay, so I've just given you some of the best nuggets that point towards or that maybe Christians look back and say there were hints of a Messiah coming and rising from the dead. And, and I think we can all agree that it's not a very clear picture. The people at, in Jesus's day, when he was walking around and teaching, they did not, they were not prepared. They were, the, the pump was not primed for them to say, ah, yeah, well, if this is the Messiah, what's gonna happen is he's gonna suffer and die and rise from the dead wasn't in their framework. And so what we actually find is Jesus having to prime the pump. And I like how, so let, let me look at a few things Jesus says as he begins to lay the framework for it before it actually happens. One of the interesting ones is in Matthew 12, verse 40, um, where, let's see, where he's talking um, not so much to his followers, but to his detractors, the Pharisees. Um, they say, teacher, we, this is chapter 12 of Matthew, verses um, 38 and following. And the title of this section is called uh, The Sign of Matthew, or The Sign of Jonah, sorry. Teacher, we want a sign from you. He answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but no one will, none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And he goes on and on, and he goes on to say someone greater than Solomon is here. Now, is that a clear picture? We're not real clear yet. Jesus isn't actually coaching his disciples yet with that teaching. But it does seem to have this sense of death and being buried and then rising again. Let me look. Let me cross over to John chapter 12. See something else Jesus says that sounds like resurrection, but is still not super clear. Um, so this is when in John chapter 12, verse uh, 21, some Philip comes and says, um, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. And Philip, Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus, and Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. That's pretty cryptic still. And so let's go on to what Jesus actually starts doing in Matthew chapter 16, where we read um, chapter 16 of Matthew, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Okay, that's pretty clear. In fact, that's almost like, a, like an itinerary that Jesus is giving. Um, you know, sometimes you tell somebody you live with or you tell someone in your life, you say, you know, today I'm going to, first I'm going to do this and I'm going to go, you know, first I'm going to go to Trader Joe's and I'm going to go, you know, up to the mountains and go skiing and then I'm going to come back and jump in the pool. You know, whatever your 
itinerary is for the day. You, you know, fill it in. So that's Jesus saying, first suffer, then die, then rise from the dead. And then it seems like he's really doing this a lot now. As we look at, um, he also in verse chapter 17 of Matthew, verse 22. So I had just read from chapter 16 of Matthew, now chapter 17. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered over to human hands. He will be killed, and on the third day, he will be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. And you just kind of keep flipping the pages over. We get to chapter 20 of Matthew, and then it says, now Jesus, chapter 17 of, of, or verse 17 of chapter 20 in Matthew. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem on the way. It's time to remind everyone of the itinerary. Oh, there goes my notes. On the way. Need a bigger desk over here. Okay, so it's itinerary time. They're on their way to Jerusalem. On the way, Jesus took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Jesus is getting a little more clear than what, and he needs to be because the Old Testament scriptures had not readied this population to see what Jesus had to do. And so we get this clear picture that no one really expected and no one was really inclined even to think that the Messiah would rise from the dead. In fact, Peter's response when it comes in that part I read in Matthew 16. You know what Peter's response is? He says, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. No one was inclined to believe this path. Um, a lot of times people think, uh, people imagine that back in those days, people were, um, People were just more inclined for one reason or another to believe in the resurrection from the dead, but they weren't. And that's part of what we're laying out today. New Testament scholar and historian uh, Tom Wright says this, not all Jews believed in resurrection. For those who did, it was something that God would do for all people in the last day. You know, not like one person now ahead of time. All the righteous dead would be raised to share in God's reign for some of the Jews. For Greeks, the body was a tomb in which the soul had been imprisoned. They didn't want their body back. They wanted a pure soul. Resurrecting, resurrecting the body was not part of the plan. What I'm doing, friends, is I'm just trying to bring us back into a time and remember this time that, that the resurrection was 100% a surprise for everyone all around. What we do not have any sense of an obvious collection of clear predictions from scripture or clear beliefs at the time that Jesus did this, that he would rise from the dead. And yet, why did they all believe it then? Why did it become the center of what Christians believed? Because they had something better than a clear scriptural, uh, obvious kind of game plan from the Old Testament scriptures. They had something better than that. They had met the risen Jesus himself. They had people who could testify that he was clinically dead. They had seen him. They had held his body. They had put him in a tomb. People then, just like today, know what a dead person feels like and looks like. And they had over 500 people who had seen him alive. 
everything it went against everything they believed about life and death and about how God was going to work and yet what they had was the most compelling proof of all they had this they had him show up alive again and there were the people who knew had this huge surprise that they had seen him and then there were others who believed it because they saw how they saw the look in the people's eyes when they would tell them that this is even though it's second hand and now I'm hearing from you because you saw him I can see in your eyes I can see the excitement I can see how this has changed you this one Jesus rose from the dead it was a complete and utter surprise and that is that surprise made Christianity different from every other religion and it also made the church at the time have this energy to it and have really the church was a beacon of hope in a broken world and I suggest that we return to that today I suggest that we consider that um, in today's world we have a whole bunch of micro surprises that people like to talk about or like to think about when it comes to Christianity but they are just that they're small piddly temporary little surprises you know, I'm surprised Christianity does this. Oh, I'm surprised that that Christian leader did that or said that. I'm surprised that the Bible says this. All these things, these are surprises, but they're not the original surprise. They're not the big surprise. They're small surprises. Friends, Jesus rising from the dead is the OG surprise of the Christian faith. It is the original one, and often, quite frankly, it's the one we've lost when we get caught up in all of these little micro-issues that, that seem so pertinent today about Christianity. The OG surprise is the resurrection of Jesus and how that changes us as a church. Let me just close with one more, um, one more thing from N.T. Wright. This is what he says. Resurrection hope turned those who believed it into a counter-empire counter empire yes those who believed it it turned them into a counter empire an alternative society that knew the worst that tyrants could do and they knew that the true god had the answer for the christians believed that the messiah had already been raised from the dead let us this week return to the original surprise let's pray our great God, it is hard for us to break out of the piddly little things that make up our lives and our values and our worries and our hopes. But may we today find again as your church what it means to look like, or what it means to look at the world around us. And in all the brokenness and beauty that we see, in all the corruption, in the works of tyrants and the works of disease, to look at it to look at your beautiful creation and also see hope and to see ourselves as having been empowered by the empty tomb to be a beacon of hope in this broken world and to know that you have already begun the first act in bringing about a new creation, a healed creation, a restored world where beauty and truth and justice and love will reign forever. Pray in Jesus' name, and we ask for your help through your Holy Spirit. Amen.